Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is, meet the champion. Hello, people of planet Earth. Welcome back to the Snub Club. This is a podcast where we talk about the movie that has the most Oscar noms and no wins at all. I am a host of this podcast, Danny Vincent. That was Martian for <laughs> I'm Sarah. <laughs> and God in his, in his infinite wisdom has put me, the smallest of the hosts, Caleb Bunn. All right. Now, guys, this is our last episode at the 26th Academy Awards. To recap, with 13 nominations, the ceremony was From Here to Eternity. It won eight. With 10 nominations, the ceremony was Roman Holiday. It won three of those nominations. With six nominations and one win each was Lily and Shane. With five nominations and two wins was The Robe. With five nominations and one win was Julius Caesar. With three nominations, and one win were Calamity Jane and Stalag 17. And then there were three movies that qualified for this podcast. The first two, The Moon is Blue and The Bandwagon, can be heard covered on our previous two episodes. But this time, we're covering the last of them, which is Byron Haskins' The War of the Worlds. Sarah, what was The War of the Worlds nominated for? Well, technically, this movie doesn't qualify for the podcast because it was nominated for Best Sound Recording for Lauren L. Ryder, who lost to John P. Lividary for From Here to Eternity. Uh, Ryder was nominated 13 more times and won eight honorary awards. It was also nominated for Best Film Editing for Everett Douglas, who lost to William Lyon for From Here to Eternity. And it was nominated and won for Best Special Effects. But what, Sarah, was its competition in Best Special Effects? What were the <laughs> films against it in that category? Um, there were no other films. Ergo, it does qualify for this podcast because it won no competitive awards. That's why it gets the asterisk. Sure, it does have an Oscar, but the same way It's Wonderful Life has an Oscar, you know? If it's not against competition, the Special Effects Award is more of a Special Achievement Award than an actual... I mean, yes, the studio will be like, yeah, it won an Oscar, but it it wasn't against anyone, so... I'm just saying. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you say so. There's some suspicion going on right now. (laughs) It's more to say the the Wikipedia article says three nominations. Yeah, but if you look at the Wikipedia article, it lists this win under an honorary award, not as an actual award. All right, well, we've already talked about this Academy Awards ceremony a lot. Caleb, do you have any historic context for the War of the Worlds? War of the Worlds is interesting. came out in the late, uh, the late 1800s uh, by H.G. Wells, who is one of the fathers of sci-fi. Um, and it's probably the most famous adaption. The uh, Orson Welles radio broadcast uh, came out, I believe, in the 40s. So it would have been a little bit older than this movie. Um, but then this comes in and it recontextualizes the story to very much be in a post-war um, realm where it is, it is very much where the, where the book focuses on, on colonialism. This one focuses more on um, the science of world domination, and you can see some parallels to like the atom bomb and stuff like that, and just World War II in general. So nothing like super specific about this year, but just in general, that's kind of the context that this found itself in. All right. Well, our intro segment will be short today because we already did most of the intro stuff. So let's talk about the movie. The War of the Worlds. Uh, what did y'all think? General thoughts. You want me to go first? I can go first. I have general thoughts. 
All right. I'm getting the head nod because they're forgetting that this is a audio medium and instead assuming you guys can see their faces. Uh, I thought you would just roll into it like a professional. Uh, I usually do, but then you know what? It's There's the pause of me saying, who has any thoughts? And then I just go ahead and I sound like I'm an idiot when I'm listening back to the podcast because no one gave me the go ahead. <laughs> just makes you sound like I'm a jerk, so this time I'm calling you out. <laughs> um, the War of the Worlds started really great. Uh, but then it very quickly becomes like a very prototypical... Uh, disaster movie in the sense that none of these characters actually have any character to them which means i really enjoyed the beginning procedural aspect but then when it's like later on it's just like this is an 85 minute movie that feels so much longer because i don't care about anybody in it that said on a technical level i do think it's a really cool movie to watch um be it the cinematography i'm curious actually did you go which aspect ratio did you guys watch this in because I know that on YouTube it was on a different aspect ratio than how I watched it, which was the Academy ratio. I watched it on YouTube, so whichever I watched it on YouTube, it, let me look it up. Well, no, because that it was filmed in a, as, a wide aspect ratio for theatrical distribution, but what I could find the intended aspect ratio of the cinematographer at the time was the Academy ratio. Um, hmm. Not that it really matters; it just means like you know, at one point it was cropped for television, and that. No, no, it means it was like intended to be made that way, but they're like, no, let's make it wide because it might get more people in as a gimmick type of thing, you know? I don't actually know if that's production history. I just know there are two ratios to watch this movie in. Uh, and hmm. I know that YouTube has the wider ratio, but I saw it in the more classical Academy one. But anyway, um, yeah, I think it starts really well, but then once we actually spend more time with these characters and realize how flat they are, it's kind of like, all right, let's get it over with. Even I though, mean, yeah, I always am impressed by the effects. Personally. I thought one character was cool, and that was the Doctor. Um, thought he was pretty cool. I would say the movie has a certain flavor to it, <laughs> um, especially at the end. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, a lot of messages going on about. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, I think it's very interesting how a movie that's about, and I'm not saying, I am not saying that they can't coexist, but I think it's very interesting that a movie that is about extraterrestrial life, like the the moral of the story is that God didn't make them, so they couldn't survive on Earth. I think it's interesting, especially considering like the thought process that goes through the pastor character earlier on in the movie is way more logical than the actual like outcome of the film. I feel like I want to talk about the film in depth. Yes. The ending of the film in depth when we get okay. there. Um, but I, I really did have a good time with this movie. I think it's fun. It laid the groundwork for uh, both sci-fi and disaster movies. You can see a lot of independence day here. Yeah. You can see a lot of, um, a lot of like even coming up to like Nope and stuff. You can see some parallels to, to this. Um, however, it does have some flat characters, and the ending gets very repetitive. The it's an it's a hard ending to pull off. It works in the book, um, in a way that doesn't in this version or the two thousand five version, because the book allows the book allows the story to continue, um, and in its adaptations, for the most part, it usually just ends with the aliens dying, um, which is very unsatisfying. That mixed with the weird. Uh, the weird messages of the ending uh, kind of squander uh, what was a pretty entertaining sci-fi flip. Okay, so should we work our way through the plot of the world, the worlds? Because this is—I feel like this is not really a movie where we can be like, you know, a lot of these other movies we be like, this actor was really great in this part. Let's break it down. I don't think this movie really lends itself to that. Um. I think this is a more of a let's talk it scene by scene breakdown type of thing. So the movie begins with actually, I thought a really cool pre credits montage of like World War One explosion, World War Two explosion, and then the opening credits actually begin. The movie opens the uh, meteor, which Pretty sure everyone listening to this, even if they're like, oh, I don't want to get spoiled for this movie, can assume that the World of the Worlds, this meteor, is actually a spaceship that crashes straight down in a town in California. Uh, which feels, well, I guess I can't really judge 
1950s California, but it definitely did not feel like California to me. Especially because they're like, the best thing we have in town is a square dance. But maybe that's just me and my stereotypes of the states. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's like it's like the northern rural right. section of Florida, it was like of, it's, uh, California. It's like outside Corona, California. I will say the square dance scene. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why was wait, that wait. there? The square dancing scene is funny. <laughs> but I want to talk about something else before then. We are introduced to our two main characters, which is the Dr. Collins character, who is our everyman scientist, who is, you know, here to investigate the meteor. And then the person who ends up his love interest, because she's the only female with a speaking part until the last 20 minutes of the film. Uh, Sylvia, who I want to point out, the thing that stood out to me is that when the first thing she says to the audience is that she has a master's degree that she's using well, and then she never uses it in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. She just she just screams the whole movie. Yeah, panics. I think I wrote down in my notes. She's got a master. Uh, will she get to use it? By will she get to use any of that knowledge? The answer is no. <laughs> I, do, I think it's real. I think it's there very much to point out, like, oh, these guys, these people would be compatible intellectually as a couple, but. They- we're not going to have her do anything in the Listen, entire film. Don't act like if you were in the middle of an alien invasion, you would not scream and be scared because I, I certainly think, would be. Sarah, the issue is not necessarily the screaming and stuff. It's the fact that when they finally meet up with the other scientist, she just stands around and it's like, hey, look into this camera thing. And she's like, ooh. Oh my God, like, they do, do the, they do like the, like straight out of Compton. Like, <laughs> That was a cool shot, though. I like seeing a shot like that in um, 1953. Um, anyway, also we get a little bit of a... What's the word for it? Brown face for Hispanic people? We get a little bit of a brown face for a Hispanic guy who goes, we could make tacos and enchiladas out of this place. And I know you guys are looking it up. I looked it up. This guy is German-Russian. So okay. he's, he's Jack, not... Jack Crucian? I mean, there's his, a character it, named Salvatore. Yes, that's a Jack Russian. Well, he's Canadian, according he's to Wikipedia. He's Canadian, yeah, so, of Russian Jewish descent. So he brings up other foods. I'm pretty sure besides he just says tacos, that. enchiladas, but, and hamburgers. I'm pretty sure he <laughs> played papulia yeah. and flowers. So three, three good foods. <laughs> well, I guess okay. This is a weird thing to me. Is that the point? This the reason I point this out is not only the brown face, but because I realize you know I don't think I've ever actually seen a movie this old that mentioned even tacos, like <laughs> or just had had like acknowledge that there's a Hispanic population in California because we you also see that at the church at the end. Yeah, um, I'm not trying to justify this movie or go to bat for it in terms of how it portrays these Hispanic people, but I do feel like it it's. It's interesting to see, so, like at least a nod t- to the actual diverse demographics of the area. Yeah, too bad it's again not portrayed by actual actors in those um, cultures. I'm trying to think of the word, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, what I was also going to say about this scene, though, which is to me, it's one of the scenes that to me are like, oh, maybe this will actually have interesting commentary in it is the first thing we see all these people do when they get this meteor in it is talk about how they're going to capitalize on it and make it a tourist attraction. And I was like, oh, okay, I like what this is setting up because it's like, the alien's not going to like that and then he's go- the alien's going to lash out. And it'll be like, yeah, the fact that we just immediately see this thing and decide to put our capitalistic culture on it uh, and make some money off of it is like, oh, that's some cool commentary. Oh, wait, no, that's not what this movie's about at all. It's just these um, are. Do I have the movie? I know. Food? I was going to say, you just have to wait, you know, 70 never- years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that is what I, I was reminded of. Well, I, and we said before we recorded, there's no, no way we're going to talk about this movie in the summer of 2022, a month after Nope came out without probably mentioning Nope a bit. Um, so be warned if you want to go into Nope blind, because I'm sure it will come up again on this. No, now it'll be really funny if it doesn't, because I gave this whole warning. I feel like it will. Yeah, I probably still will. Um, what if Nope ended with them all running well, around because, the churches? Well, well, here's the thing, though. <laughs> is in that same scene, 
they're like, oh, um, you know, we should wave the white flag. And then they just immediately killed. Just <laughs> immediately killed. And to me, you know, I'm thinking of the context. I'm thinking about the con- in context, you know, 1953. Like, I'm thinking about seeing, watching Nope and watching the people get killed in Nope and being horrified. And I feel like it's probably very similar in this time period because people were probably not expecting that at all. And it's, it is kind of violent for like what no, we see. I think the visual effects in this movie are legitimately like, and it won the honorary Oscar for it, but they're legitimately really great for 1953. Like, I think the film also is incredibly well directed in the sense that even if I don't care about the characters, I feel tension in a lot of these scenes just because of how, um, powerful these aliens are depicted to be, uh, and just how outmatched the humans are. And again, also like the imagery is pretty disturbing. Like it leaves like the little crispy mark of where they were always. Uh, the sound design on it feels very like proto what we expect from sci-fi, but not really in anything of this level yet. And it's just really like a well done horror film in that regard. Even though yeah, it's a sci-fi disaster movie. There. Are, there are a lot of sequences in it that are like, yeah, this would be scary in 1953. Uh, especially when I compare it to the other 50s horror movie I've seen, which is The Blob. I think this is way better done in terms of like direction and knowing its limitations. And I also think those ships look really good. I'm just going to say it. Like, yeah. Because the thing is, it's like, yes, you can see the wire. But the thing I noticed that I thought was always a smart decision is that they painted on the uh, backdrops a couple more wires. So it just looks like it's the texture of the camera. At least, I don't know if you guys noticed that. I definitely noticed that there were a couple just dangling like, wires that looked like it. Like the same... Yeah. Like telephone wires that have been, been downed. Yeah, and the same like density of the wires that are holding up the ship. So you don't notice the wire as much because it's just part of the background of the atmosphere of the film grain, in a sense. It's not the film grain, but you would uh, connect it to that. Yeah. Um, it's an, it's like how half the birds and the birds were statues and they just put in enough birds to move to trick your eye. It's a good, it's a good way to trick your eye. Um, I really like the force field effects, the yeah. little domes over the ships. Great miniature work in this too. Yeah. The, um, I was also so impressed. I mean, I'm sure it's stock footage. One thing I really thought about while watching this movie was this is very, it's only, uh, what? Uh, sorry, I have to do my, my head. Nine years after the end of World War II. And a lot of great archive footage, presumably, of these jets. But then it's also interesting to me to see a movie from this close to Hiroshima and Nagasaki to be like, we're going to debate dropping the atomic bomb on these creatures. And it's like, you know, at the time, like now, whenever this happens in a movie, it's like, we might need a nuclear. You're kind of like, oh, well, that's a funny idea, like, to fight these aliens with nukes. But back then, it's like, no, this is a legitimate thing to consider because we did just do it. And it's... Yeah. And, and, like, from that whole perspective, that, like, bit of, t- t- like, uh, the ta- tactician, like, strategy where they're like, should we do this or not, was really interesting to me because it's not trigger-happy and it feels very realistic in a sense that, like, say, I don't know if they do this in the Spielberg world of the world, but if they did it in that, I would be like, it's a bit more goofy because it's 2005 and we haven't dropped a nuke in 50 years you know well and it's also yes. i mean the audience from an audience perspective and also the filmmakers there's no sense of remorse like from the nukes that we have dropped i mean it's, it's just kind of like oh we won the war you know we're still in that kind of you know era yeah. um of course we still won't know how we feel about the nukes until oppenheimer comes out but yeah. until then... <laughs> good thing we all saw Nope, right? True. Good thing we all saw Nope, so we know that movie's coming out. We know exactly the day and time of when that movie is coming out. <laughs> me, me, putting my phone away, oh, it's starting. <laughs> when I get my Blu-ray copy of Nope, if it does not have Oppenheimer attached, <laughs> I'll be very upset. No, but I mean, I think that it's... <laughs> To get back to my point, you know, there isn't that like nukes are just kind of a way of life. It's kind of, I know, you know, we are in the mm. nuclear era as well, um, which we continue up to until, you know, early 60s. Um, and there isn't that kind of, you know, we haven't, 
you know, people probably knew about internment camps and stuff like that, but it's not, it wasn't like a widely known thing. So it's not really like, you know, it just, it doesn't even factor into it at all. And I think when we look well, at nukes now, it's like, oh, this was a really terrible thing that happened. But also you have to think the people who knew about internment camps, you know, probably, probably a fair amount, probably didn't care because most people back then were, they like, there was a very concerted effort to make Americans hate Japanese people. And then there was an equally concerted effort to try to rehabilitate the image of Japanese people in America's mind. But that was still going on. But it also, like, there. Yeah, and it wasn't like, let's, it was like, let's make them, I'm trying to think of the way to word it, because I want to make this, it's not like we were apologizing for the internment camps at all. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, well, they're good now. So don't worry what we did in the past, it was war. Now, now they're good. Well, and specifically, it's like super patronizing being like, oh, they were just like children and the emperor was like their crazy father and all this stuff. Um, so like it's, it's and I mean, I still heard this stuff growing up as a kid, too. Yeah. Like I heard people being like, oh, I went over to Japan and they thanked us for dropping the bomb. I'm like, I don't think that happened. Yeah. I, I don't think that watched, happened in, in the 2000s. I watched when I was in New York because um, I had a afternoon free and yet I did not. All the museums in New York right now have timed entry, which is really annoying because you can't just decide to go to a museum. So I ended up going to see Hiroshima Monomore, which was, have you, have you seen that movie? It's uh, really interesting because it's like about a love affair in Hiroshima, obviously. Um, but I don't, it's obviously not how we would depict it now. Like, you know, like looking back on it, but it is a way more like, n- knowledge of like wow what we did was horrible here and it's a french film so it's not like you know they're not it's not america who finally realized this but anyway that's what i was thinking also when i was watching this because i had just seen hiroshima monomore much better tackling of nuclear stuff than here although this is a sci-fi so i don't really expect it to really engage with that material much all right so let's get back to the plot so the three guys who want to uh make uh, business out of the meteor end up waking up the uh, Martian and it kills them immediately which is where we left off because I was like it's scary and it is but then we cut to the square dance where I want to talk about a bit more where it's like one it's a very weird shot of the square dance because it's like I'll be honest pretty much everyone in this movie like who, of the same age will all wear their hair the exact same way so it's like we zoom in on this person and I assumed it was our leads. Nope, we're going into another couple. That's not them either, even though we're only seeing the back of their heads. And then we finally get on our couple. And then like the lights go out once the heat ray goes off, which I thought was interesting too, because it's like, you know, all this stuff is like standard now. Where it's like, oh, uh, we all know what an EMP an EMT is in like a, a sci-fi movie, right? Like that's just the like you don't you don't need to explain it to me in a sci-fi movie. And then this is not an EMT. It's like we magnetized all your watches. I think it's EM. It's EMP, oh, electromagnetic I pulse. I don't know why I said T. That's an emergency <laughs> medical technician. Uh, <laughs> well, you started by saying EMP, and then you doubted yourself. <laughs> you guys were giving me that look. I don't like this anymore. I quit. <laughs> I don't like this. Um, what? Yeah, no, they all. <laughs> what? What they are you go back. <laughs> it's a TikTok sound. <laughs> they go back to. They go back to the site. They of course can't find the dudes, but then the alien starts killing more, um, and so everyone kind of scatters or dies, and the military comes in. And they kind of throw everything they have at these aliens. And it, it ain't working. And if I remember right, this is also. If I remember right, they say it's like sixty percent human casualty, ninety percent material casualty. That's how bad. Yeah. Just yeah, and I. This is also when we find out that there are these aliens all over the world, all a like Independence Day or something. You forgot what triggered this though. We have to talk about the scene that triggered this attack, which is the pastor. I was going to say, we didn't didn't talk about the power of prayer. (laughs) The power of the prayer. (laughs) Um, Where our our heroine, Sylvia, uh, follows her uncle out 
to send and she's like, Uncle, where are you going? Which is how she delivers pretty much any line in this movie because she has no actual agency of her own. And the uncle goes, I believe those things were made by the same creator as us. And if they are more advanced than us, that must mean they are closer to our creator. So I'm going to try to reason with them because no one else has. He like goes out there with his Bible. I don't remember his last words are. I think he just is saying the Lord's Prayer, right? It's just kind of It's either the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23. Yeah. And he pretty much immediately like holds up the Bible and just gets sapped. And then that's what triggers the uh the general to be like, fire everything. <laughs> yeah, because I guess it's one of those points where this is the first time they directly see someone get killed outside of like the chaos. Because obviously they don't see the first three people get killed. And also because it's a it's a pastor and the year is 1953. Maybe the army didn't, but the sheriff and the main character saw the car blow up with the guy in it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's true. Uh, but you're right. The military has not seen the force of these aliens yet. So then, yeah, the huge thing happens. Uh, kills them all, except, of course, our main characters escape. We get this really kind of cool, kind of stupid shot of the commanding officer walking to the camera going everybody get up and he like gets he gets like disintegrated mid-sentence while staring directly at the camera while the camera lingers on his floating skeleton but it's a cool shot like oh again one of those like i'll allow it type of things and then we we have this sequence where oh sylvia and the doctor escape in a plane and we get like the scene in a farmhouse that's shot more like a horror movie than anything else in here. Cause it's like the aliens are going after us, but they're just like probing us. They're not actually trying to fight. They're just trying to observe the humans. Now I remember right, this is the first scene where we actually get a glimpse of the alien, right? Itself. Yeah. Yeah. This is a scene that calls back it, it's the only scene that is in both the book, this movie, and then the two thousand five version, although with alterations to each one where the characters are trapped and then the aliens are outside. Now, the problem with this one is that these aliens, they look goofy as hell. <laughs> they look like, I think that's a like 90s Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> They've got, they're like little goopy ET looking dudes, but their face is like three glowing primary colors. Yeah. I think the uh, the imagery of the ships does a lot here. Like, the ships look great to me. Like, very cool retro future design for on the ships. But then we have the aliens, which are just, like, very generic. But the film is smart enough to keep the aliens mostly out of sight. Um, I was more thinking of the scene of this that I really like. Part of this I really like is when the Doctor just, like, goes after with his axe. He's just like, ah! <laughs> and it's like... Whenever someone has an axe in like a movie like this, I'm like, yeah, use the axe. That's cool. You know, I just looked up the uh, the UFO hoax at uh, Roswell was 1947. Um, well, hoax, true life incident, depending on where you land on. It that. was real. So I guess the <laughs> I guess the gray alien hadn't quite codified yet. It was still too new to be. Kind of like the base design. Maybe this is why it's the base design. Because this is ugly. I'd be a lot less scared if this is what alien invaders look like in future movies. Listen, I so I was watching the X Files. I need to get back into it. But it was like the first two seasons. They don't know what the aliens do. They don't know what they look like. They don't know what their powers are. They don't know, like, they get people pregnant and they kill people and they make them lose their memory. They do all this all this stuff. And it's like, maybe we do need a universal alien because this is just, <laughs> we, need to, we need to decide right here, right now. <laughs> well, as long as they don't have three primary colors, just shining on their face you know, i think will be good it reminds me of it reminds and i'm i'm wondering if this movie was even an influence it reminds me of mars attacks that's what it reminds me of it probably mars yeah. attacks is probably a big influence on this 
I mean, you know what I mean. The other way around. You know what I mean. The other way. (laughs) The prosthetic isn't terrible. Like the prosthetic hands and stuff, and I'm guessing it's a suit for the full body image. It's not bad. Just looks weird. You know, and when people watch this, they are probably like, "Nah, nah." They probably ran out. I was like, "Nope." Um, all right, but then I want to talk about to me one of the more wacky choices in editing in this movie, which is when this scene ends, he goes like, We have to go get this to get studied. And then we cut to this montage that seems like we're jumping forward a huge amount of time where it's like, Oh, these capitals fall, blah blah blah. Oh no, and now the pr- the thing <laughs> that cracks up at the end is like the one strong standold is the White House, which the Martians have not decided to attack. Like, okay. Why haven't they? Like, that literally doesn't make any sense. Well, I guess I guess they're attacking population centers, and it's like only a couple people live in the White House. I guess Congress wasn't in session at the time. Yeah, but I don't think they show New York. Like, they don't show New York. The aliens seem to only really care about LA in the US, which is weird. But whatever. Especially because if it if it I'll put it this way. If these aliens are from another planet and don't know our borders, which they wouldn't, and they just see, let's go after France. Let, oh, that's another funny part, too. It's like the British, uh, the Martians really have their eyes on the British Isles, knowing they were a prime jewel of the earth. It's like, what? Why would they know that? They're it's just called, the they're supporting. They're supporting our allies <laughs> in this time. Do y'all think that's a reference to the, to the um, book? Because the book takes place in Britain? Maybe. It just seems so goofy to me to be like, wow, they definitely wanted to take down Britain. (laughs) War-torn Britain, still in the middle of food rations. Anyways, this whole montage goes by. What? They're coming after Queen Liz. So this whole montage goes by, and we, um, we then cut to, like, the situation room, where they finally... Um, get the nuke signed off on. And then we cut to our main characters showing up at the lab with the disembodied like camera eye of this thing. And it's like, oh yeah, we they're like, we've been looking for you everywhere. And he's like, I've literally just been walking in this direction this whole time. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like the sense of that's the thing about this movie that if this movie has an issue, it's that there's so much exposition in the sense where like the time past is never really clear and it's like oh yeah I just did this thing and this thing and this thing that we couldn't afford to show on screen it's like okay great let's uh let's study this thing and tell you immediately like all right like one of my favorite moments earlier in the movie is like when they interview our main character he's like what do you think about this Martian what would it look like even though you haven't seen it and then he just goes on to give like a perfect description of what the Martian looks like even though he hasn't seen the Martian. He's like, logically, this is what a Martian would be. And this, even though also, again, it's kind of like that thing where I keep pointing out with Nope is that is Nope really a sci-fi movie if we don't actually know if that's an alien? Because we don't know if that's an alien. And I think that's part of the joy of Nope. No, okay, it it is still like a sci-fi, like sci-fi horror, sci-fi fantasy, whatever you want to call it. Um, But my point is, is that these guys have no reason to know these are Martians. (laughs) Like, there is nothing to signal that these are from Mars. First of all, I do think that we know that it's an alien. And nope. First of all. (laughs) No, I don't think so. I think you can read that movie as, like, it's an eldritch abomination of some kind that just happens to live in the sky. Where do eldritch abominations come from? (laughs) Space. Do they? I didn't actually. I thought eldritch abominations could also, like, come from the deep of Earth. I didn't know that. Well, that does remind me, though. Not to, I'm sorry to interrupt, Caleb, but um, I do think it's interesting how important the military is in this movie. Because when I think about, when we think about, and I, I mean, I'm comparing, but it's like, whatever, this is my basis of comparison. But in like, nope, it's just like from, obviously, you know, the filmmaker's perspective and like, you know, 2022 lens, but like, thinking a guy from Fry's Electronics, like they have no, <laughs> they have no, well, there's no cops, no FBI, like nothing. Well, to be clear, though, I feel like, and I like, I, I do like comparing with Nope, because that's obviously the recent movie, and it's 
I'll freshen our minds, but like, I do feel like Nope is, and I think you agree with me, it's way more of a horror movie than this is. This is more a disaster alien movie. And in a disaster yes. alien movie, when I think of the modern one, air quotes around modern, because it's a almost 30 year old movie now, but I think of Independence Day, where the military is a huge role in that film. And the military well, constantly is involved in that film. It's really interesting because, like, one, it, it it's mind-boggling to think of how much Independence Day takes from this. Um, but two, it, it's you kind of almost have to follow the military, or at least have an understanding of the military to understand the scale of this. Um, because you have to have the best weapons failing against this and the most powerful military in the world at this point being wiped out in front of us. Um, I'm thinking of like the, the 2005 version, which is much more domestic focused. Um, I need to watch and I haven't it. seen that version. I should watch it. Cause yeah, I love Spielberg I, and I genuinely enjoy Tom's Cruise's presence, despite obvious failings in his personal life to say the least, but I do generally enjoy his presence and things. So I should watch it at some point. I, I can't talk to the quality because it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, but the obvious allegory there is it is taking on uh, like the the feelings of helplessness that citizens had during 9-11. Where this, because this, there was much more citizen involvement in the military because of World War II, I think it's interesting to compare those two. Where the military characters in this I think it's easy for us to disconnect from that, but that would have been a much more personal and relatable thing to 1950s audience. I mean, the Korean War was, you know, going on too. So they also had an active war. It wasn't just post-World War II. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, because I feel like one other thing that's interesting about it is when I think about Independence Day as the more obvious, more popular successor to this. Because I, I do think that is a wildly more popular film than 2005 War of the Worlds movie. Um, definitely. Um, I think about how that movie goes out of the way to... Sh- even though, yeah, it does still end with Randy Quaid blowing up the ship and going like, USA, USA. But it, is, it has that big speech where it's like, this is the whole world's Independence Day. We all have to work together to get this done. And this is kind of like... It does give lip service to the idea like, yeah, we're all fighting these invaders, but we're all fighting them on our own. I think that's a very key weird difference in a sense in this montage. Uh, Well, and that's why any form of nationalism really falls apart with this story, because whether they work together or not, they are not going to be the people who beat the aliens. Yeah. Which is, yeah. You know what also I'm thinking of now? Because we're talking about like working together in countries. It's like I think about the movie Arrival, which I did think until well, actually, honestly, somewhat even more so than Nope is more of the traditional sci-fi story that you'll get nowadays about out uh first contact. Um and I think about how that movie, you know, the whole message of that movie is really like we do need to all work together as a group and we can't have factions in dealing with these aliens that are not necessarily i mean obviously war of the worlds and independence day the aliens are aggressors and arrival is not like that but i don't know there's a lot of obvious i guess this all comes down to a lot of ufo movies uh and all of them seem to come back to this and the day the earth stood still yeah this because i think arrival is taken from the day the earth stood still because that's man i watched that movie earlier this year uh it's astounding how little happens in that movie and i say that in a very good sense i love that movie i think it's much better than this is but it's it's a talkie movie it's a movie where people walk around washington and talk about things um and so like you do kind of see the two strands of alien movies spring out from the 50s through these two movies and did you um sorry i have to just ask side tangent did you get a chance i know sorry sir and did you get a chance to see et and imax no, I didn't. Uh, I'm sorry. It was beautiful. <laughs> I sobbed so much. 
Um, no, the reason I bring it up is I'm like, I guess E.T. then is more like in the vein of, you know, Day of the Earth still that lineage. Although obviously E.T. starts its own kind of lineage too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Sarah, do you have something to say? You look annoyed at me. No. No. I'm just thinking, well, no, I'm just thinking about Steven Spielberg now. <laughs> That's all I've been thinking about for the past like five minutes. I just listen. So I did you know that these ships appeared in Ready Player One? The uh ships in this what? movie. <laughs> well, because I think the whole movie kind of reminded, especially the scene where in the farmhouse, it reminds me of Universal Studios. There was an attraction, I don't know if it's still there. I don't think it's still there. That was called um well, they had two. They had one based on the movie Twister starring Bill Paxton, and then they had one that was called Earthquake. And I think Earthquake was still there because they had this pre-show with The Rock. It was really weird. But it was like both of them, like you were in it and like the disaster was happening and like the Earthquake one was crazy because you were in like a subway and stuff was like, you know, there's fire and water and things were like breaking apart around you, but it looked very manufactured. <laughs> I think that that's kind of, it reminds me of, the farmhouse scene reminds me of, of it because there's a part where like the wall cracks. And it's like very clearly like <laughs> this is the scene. Yeah. But if you've been to Universal Studios Hollywood, not only can you see uh, the not only can you see Jupiter's claim from Nope, but you can also see the plane crash from War of the Worlds. I'm just saying. I I, th- I know uh, Universal also. I was talking to my friend who visited me who used to live in Florida. Um, Obviously, the Florida one does not have Jupiter's claim quite yet. Um, but he's talking about how, actually, this is just a side note. He's really disappointed because he thinks Jupiter's claim means that there won't be a nope horror house. I'm like, yeah, that's I fair. I feel like a horror house. I think there has been one. <laughs> or there is going to be one. Well, 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 I'll Google it. But if so, I guess that would be for the Florida one. Uh, but I feel like a nope horror house would be cool. Uh, especially because obviously you could just look up and see the opening credits. Uh, right now, I don't see anything, but whatever. I think it's, a tra- I think it's um, one of the tram tours. I don't know. No, yeah, the tram tour goes to Jupiter's plane. So, yes, that's what you... Yeah. Um, I think this movie is just... Well, let's get back to it. Let's get back yeah. to it. I know we want to talk about the ending eventually, but I think I want to talk first about the scene that follows this, which is where... No, I'm okay. I'm okay with these detours to talk about Nope and UFOs. Because I can tell you, I look, I, I know every movie we're going to cover on this podcast, we're never going to cover another UFO movie. So it's cool to talk about all this. Now. Maybe. Unless, of course, maybe like, we nope, cover nope, yeah. nominated for like, yeah. <laughs> I think Nope will probably only get nominated for like cinematography and sound design and maybe visual effects, gonna, which will be I don't think I'll get nominated but, for anything. I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, I think we'll get cinematography. The cinematography, it's a movie designed for the cinematography branch, for, branch to love because it's, you know, the guy who does no one's. Cinematography. Who's the, uh, who's the dude who plays it's, the cinematographer in the Yeah, movie? exactly. There's a cinematographer in the film. He'll There's the literally an IMAX camera nominated. in the film. <laughs> I feel like it will get a cinematography nom. It might be like The Lighthouse where it's the only nom it gets, but I think Nope would pretty much be locked in because that's basically a love letter to cinematography and the branch nominates it. But that might be its only nom. Um, it would be really funny if someone listened to this in the air and they're like, Danny, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> Kaluga has enough like goodwill that he could oh, maybe Kaluga, snag Kaluga it. won't get in. No, no, I actually, I actually have a strong opinion on Nope. That um, uh, I think the all the acting is great. I think it is easily like comparing it to Get Out and Us. The acting is nowhere near the first thing I think about. Well, the that's the thing is his best movie wasn't nominated for a single award. So, but my point is if. Well, Kalua got already nominated for a Jordan Peele movie, and it was a better performance in that movie. Um, so, and I like Nope. I think he's great in Nope. But I think it's Nope's strengths are more lying in the technical area than anything like acting wise. I'm just saying Hollywood likes to nominate the same people. And if it keeps nominating him, fine. Good. I mean, <laughs> he deserves this it. A, this is Brendan Fraser's year. For I the did whale. see that. I did see he won the tribute uh, award well, at Tiff. <laughs> He won't be getting any nominations for the Batgirl, so. <laughs> well, what I did see also about that is funny. Wait, I just want to, sorry, again, let's talk about this briefly. He's winning an award for the whale at TIFF, 
But they are, this is a new award they made after they already announced Harry Styles was going to win their normal award. <laughs> so my guess is well, they're giving they Harry Styles it. the award to make sure he attends the festival. Well, yeah. And but Brendan Fraser the award because he's This award they made like three years ago. So it's not like they made it specifically oh. for him. Got it. Was it Harry Styles one made just for Harry Styles? Then? Possibly. I'm not sure. I feel like Harry Styles winning an award for a movie no one's heard of is literally just a ploy to make sure he shows up. <laughs> Um, what were we talking about? Okay. I want to talk about the scene where we go to the scientists and they're all studying and we finally get another woman with a speaking part in it. And we get that cool shot that we already talked about a bit where it's like distorted colors and it's like what the alien sees. And this is the one type of the part of the movie where it looks like science might actually work. It's like science is here to save the day. Science is powerful. Even though, again, it's one of those things where we're just told that science is good and not actually shown it. Well, we don't need to understand it. I mean, you don't need to see something to believe it's true. Okay. Fine. (laughs) But during this whole time, it's really funny because also they just mentioned like, yeah, they're going to nuke it soon. They're like, oh, okay. Like, it does not move them at all. They're just like, to me, it's like they added that nuke and they like put in a ticking. That does add a time on because like if the nuke doesn't work, it's the world will fall in six days. I don't know. It's just really funny because it's like traditionally now if you hear like they're going to nuke something and like our characters are there, it's like, oh, no, they have to stop the nuke from going off. Otherwise, they're all going to die, you know, or it just happens like an Independence Day. Yeah, that's too. Like it, there's stakes to it is my point. And this is just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to nuke it. Uh, Let's make sure the towns of Los Angeles is evacuated. All right. We're going to we're going to nuke that. Oh, no, that's not yet. They nuke it before they evacuate Los Angeles. <laughs> Which also, I feel like everyone in this movie stays way too close to this nuclear blast when it goes off. Well, when the when the meteor crashes, they're like, oh, look, it's radioactive. That's Let's cool. go stand on it. <laughs> well, people didn't know the effects of radioactivity at that point. The scientists should. The, the scientists <laughs> like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> Why not? These are these are atomic scientists. They mentioned that they worked at Oak Ridge. So, yeah. But anyway, um, so then they try to nuke it. Obviously, the nuke doesn't work because why would it work? We get a really cool like shot of the nuke, and actually, that's what I was referring to earlier. Where we have some cool stock footage, which is the footage of the airplane, or maybe that's a miniature. I don't know. I just thought the footage of that the plane that's dropping the nuke was really good. You guys are giving me a blank stare. So I, maybe it wasn't I believe good. you. <laughs> <laughs> trying to remember uh, if it was stock footage or miniature, but I can't. I think it was stock footage because it was way more grainy than the other stuff we saw. Because after that, grainy. we get the uh, alien invasion trope of everyone is just kind of rioting at this point and trying to get out. I love this scene. This is so cool to see in nineteen fifty three. Yeah, and I, I think they built up to it pretty pretty naturally, where like things have escalated to this point. Um where in modern day they it just starts there, which is probably more honest. But for this it's like we're just gonna start at a quaint little square dance and now we can see some real societal decline. But when this happens, our main characters get separated. Which leads to uh, the doctor being like, well, there's only one place where she would go. And then he visits every single church in Los Angeles. Well, I'm sure not every, not every church. I'm sure he visits it a specific about, type of church. It lasts True. about 10 minutes of him going into a church. Someone's saying, why don't you stay here? He goes, I'm not staying here. Repeat. Repeat. He runs to some other scientists. Repeat. <laughs> so he finally finds his girlfriend where weirdly enough in this church there are people walking in the opposite directions of the two of them in the church trying to pull them away from each other <laughs> don't do that in church don't do that <laughs> <laughs> and, <yeah>. of church <laughs> and then um yeah <laughs> Gotta leave room for the Holy Spirit. Uh, (laughs) 
And then the movie basically. Well, it's funny that we're talking yeah, about it's... Jordan Peele because the ending reminds me of us. Because they're all like on a mountain praying. It reminds me of Hands Across uh, America. Wait, wait. wait, we didn't actually explain how the aliens die. You know what? I was gonna, I was gonna say something else with. I don't remember. What, I was gonna say something else with nope. Oh, I think it was just the design of the ships, which I think is more obviously nope taking. You know, things from. Oh wait, no, no, it's not that. I'm not gonna talk about Jordan Peele. I'm gonna talk about jump back. I meant to mention this when we were talking about that montage where they go like. All the people of India and uh, I can't remember. They, they go like India and some other country take a long walk to try to rest in the Himalayas. <laughs> the, the, the cement protection of the Himalayas. And it's like, what? They're going to die. Just a weird evacuation. Why not go to the Himalayas? The aliens aren't going to go there. You don't remember the scale of camps? Give me a look. I don't no, no, I line. do. But like. Obviously, that's a little silly because India is so big. But if you're in the northern part of India, hard to fly those spaceships through through the mountains. I don't think it's the worst thing. These people should have gone to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, honestly. They should have looked to India. But, you know, America knows they're always right. So They should have looked up in the cloud. That's no, they no should have not. They shouldn't have looked. Oh, yeah, you don't oh, look. Yeah. Yeah, don't blame no Did anyone else make the Doctor Who connection with Nope? I did. No. Be just because it's don't look. Yeah, it was like it was like a second, like when the re- reveal happened. I was like, yeah, that uh, this reminds me very bit of Doctor mm-hmm. Who. And then I was like, all right, but well, I'm gonna enjoy this movie and not pretend that like that Doctor Who has a monopoly on that idea. All right, but how do the aliens die in this movie? Anemia. Oh. God and his infinite <laughs> wisdom <laughs> put the smallest well, defenders of mankind. Isn't that so weird, though? Because that implies that God did not create them, which to me is like he created everything in the universe. You're telling me that he created everything except for these little guys? I, that seems like such a no, weird no, no, message. Okay. I, here's, here, no, no, no. I think God created them to test us. All right? This is, this is my theory, is that God created the invaders to come to Earth drastically re- it's kind of i know god said he would never repeat noah's ark that just means flood the earth that doesn't mean send invaders to kill a lot of us okay okay so so All he right. sends the aliens to call the uh, the population a bit but more importantly bring together those left behind to like you know be like with each other and this this thing where it's like yep the aliens killed mostly everyone but now we got to rely on each other because we all survived this alien attack, and God brought the aliens to bring us together and then killed them because he did not want us to destroy us, his greatest creation. Yeah. Why did James Baldwin name his book Fire Next Time when he could have been like, aliens that will be get killed by bacteria next time? <laughs> no, I, I feel like it's interesting. Obviously, with Cold War era sci-fi what you get a lot of the time is uh cold war uh paranoia put into this um here you don't really have the paranoia but you definitely have the evangelical shoving and god we trust into everything kind of reaffirmation of religion as what separates us from the godless com communists it kind of like that's what the ending of this movie feels like because the beginning of this movie showed what religion did to the aliens. And then the end of this movie, it's like they pray and then the aliens die. And I, in the, in the quote that I keep joshing on, that's from the book, but that's the only mention of God in the book. So like, it's two very different things. I, I've never read the book. I just know that, you know, I remember, person we universally hate on this podcast for a variety of very good reasons, Joss Whedon, saying the one thing he would change about Avengers 1 is have it so that way at the end when they all, they kill the mothership, it doesn't kill all the aliens. That's just what I thought here, is that they didn't kill a mothership. They just all collectively decided at the same time these aliens are like, 
Hey, why don't we open the windows? Why don't we crack open the side of the exact same? It reminds me of. Let's crack open the windows. It reminds me of that one episode of Invincible when all the aliens come and they keep like rapidly aging and they keep like coming back over and over and over again. And it's like, why? (laughs) Why did y'all all come at the same time? (laughs) That's actually that's one of the things the narrator of the book brings up. He's like, and you know, we're we're just down here. Mars will probably come back. The Martians are probably going to make another attempt. Maybe they'll figure out this germ thing. Yeah, maybe they'll... Maybe... <laughs> maybe... Granted, again, this is before the space program. But maybe, just maybe, these infinitely advanced species will come up with the idea of a spacesuit. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. If this movie gets remade, inevitably, it's not going to be... God, or I mean, it's going to be the aliens died because of climate change. So climate change is actually a good thing because it stopped the aliens. <laughs> I, I think you're, you're, you're pitching the Gina Carino starring <laughs> version of this film. Watch out, the aliens going to slip your Gina hair. Gina Carino and John Boyd <laughs> together <laughs> You know, there is a lot of colonialist language in the book. And then at the end, it's this thing where it's like, the diseases killed the non-natives. It's the opposite of what happened during colonialism. And it's, it's this kind of odd thing that you get in the book. So maybe that's a more uh, more faithful adaptation than either this or Spielberg's version. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about this movie? We've actually been talking a lot of... Well, we've been talking a lot about Nope. But we've also been talking a lot about this movie. Well, I just like Nope better. I think I think we're all in agreement that Nope is a better film than this. Like, that's not the qu- the question here would be if the Spielberg remake is better or independent. I think like Independence Day is more on the level of this. I think Independence Day is better than this. Oh, Independence Day is a masterpiece. So, yes, <laughs> it's OK. I've only seen it once. It's OK. I've seen it so many times. I've seen it way too many times, if I'm being honest. I used to watch that a lot when it was on TV in the afternoon in high school, but I don't think I've watched it probably since maybe 2016, when the sequel came out. I will say about the 2005 version, it does a better job wrapping things up. However, both versions, this is only a good ending if you take time to like really explore what this means to take time to explore the consequences of the aliens coming down. And neither version really wants to do that. Because this version, you know, it's a normal disaster movie and then it decides it wants to be God's Not Dead. And in the 2005 (laughs) version, it decides it wants to wrap up its characters' arcs. Which, you know what, Danny, you'd probably like 2005 more because the characters do have arcs unlike this movie. (laughs) I probably would like it more too just because I like Spielberg. I think he's cool. But yeah, but yeah. I, I like I like the twist of, I like the twist of World of the Worlds a lot. I just think it's really hard to get right. How how do we not have a musical adaptation of this yet? Where it's we like actual. Well, it's not listed here. So also, oh, you know, we we haven't talked about is Signs, which is basically the exact same thing. I haven't seen Signs. Okay, I literally have it checked out from the library in the other room for me to watch as my next movie to watch when I have time to watch a movie. Okay. I know the I know the twist of science, but don't worry. I know the, I know the twist. <laughs> I haven't seen science though. Have you seen science, Caleb? Uh, it's been a while. I wasn't a fan, but you know, uh, Nope took a lot from science, so grateful for that. Where's the uh, Where's this musical that you're telling me about? Because I think I, there should be a musical where Act One ends with the aliens dying, then Act Two is the aftermath. I just dropped like, it in the chat. I listened to oh. a little bit of it. Um, I can't vouch for it, though. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I see. Okay. So I see that here, but apparently it was originally a concept album. So it's Hadestown. Yeah. Yeah, but Hadestown is probably better. I have to assume. Way down. Oh, it's toured a couple times. Never mind. So The music was fun. All right, Sarah. Yes. What was this nominated for besides visual effects? Because we can't give it an award it already won. 
Are you sure about that? Um, <laughs> it was nominated for Best Sound Recording and Best Film Editing. All right. I'm giving it sound recording because I assume that's a general sound design. I think the sound of the alien sounds really great. I mean, I really would just want to give it visual effects. It's technically nominated for it. Do what you want. Is that okay? What's Danny going to do? What's Danny going to do? Stare at you through your computer? Listen, if Caleb can give one movie like Best Director or whatever, Best Picture, then I can give this. It already won visual effects. You can't give it an award. It already uh, won. What, you just going to be like, here's two trophies? Yeah, yes, they were good visual effects. If Walt Disney, if Walt Disney can get seven trophies, the point of the if, award is to acknowledge something that wasn't acknowledged. If Walt Disney can get yeah, seven the point trophies, of this podcast is to talk about movies that didn't win. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll give it editing, but give it an asterisk. <laughs> I mean, the whole episode's an asterisk. <laughs> the Academy got it right when they gave this movie an Oscar. But I also like I wrote down in my notes something about editing because I wanted if it was in this category, I would have given to editing. If it was in the next one, I would have because I think the scenes of destruction, especially, are cross cut really well. Um, they layer on the destruction and the the firing of the lasers and the fire and all that stuff, I think very compellingly. The story has larger structural problems, uh, but the internal editing I think works. I can't believe we never talked about Barry Lyndon with this movie. I did see that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's like Beret. I don't think it's Barry. It, it, it's a pseudonym. That's not his actual name. But yeah. All right. So you have to add a nomination. This is this is honestly is tough because there isn't a ton left here. Does miniatures count as set design? You can put it under production design if you want. Sure. I'll put I'll give this production design. Um because well the whole thing looks fine like it looks pretty solid but especially the miniatures are are very well done um i will give it best score good score uh i also am giving it best score i think it's leaf stevens to do the score who i now need to give my sad hollywood story about because i was just looking at him to see if he's nominated ever it does not look like it he he wrote. He has a song that was. He was nominated for original song, uh, for a movie called Julie. But what I was going to say that's sad about him is how he died. He died at age sixty years old because he had a heart attack. The heart attack was triggered because he was lear- He learned that his wife had just died in a car accident. Sad. That's very like pulled gothic. Called a Demi Debbie Reynolds right there. But yeah, I think I think the score is excellent in this movie. I think there's a lot of moments where the movie just lets the score, you know, go big. All right. You guys want to know what we're going to talk about next time? Yes. Sure thing. We are finally done with the 26th Academy Award. And don't worry. The 27th Academy Awards is just one film. It has seven nominations. And it's actually a film we've talked about in this podcast a lot already. By accident, because I would have cut us off if I'd remembered it was uh, something we'd cover eventually. Can I have a uh, drum roll, please? We will be covering Edward Dimitrik's The Kane Mutiny, which I believe we talked about quite a bit, actually, in our Crossfire episode, but we did not watch the film. So we'll watch The Kane Mutiny for 1954. It has seven nominations and no wins. So, yeah. That's our film next time. All right. None of you seem have to any response to this film. I'm just, well, <laughs> we've got okay. some multiple yeah. friends of the podcast on this. I'll just tell you that one. It do, I, I, know, I know Humphrey Bogart. Well, somebody else, baby. <laughs> I don't remember oh, yeah. talking about this movie at all. Me neither. Oh, we only talked about it because, <laughs> no, we talked about it because I was like, wow, because I, I looked ahead and I was like, Wow, it's really cool. This guy got blacklisted and was able to make a movie in Europe and made a ton of money off it and it did really well. And it's like, oh, wait, no, this guy named names. And oh, is yeah. <laughs> Dimitri's the rat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about this movie as he was able to mount a comeback after being a So rat. these are like <laughs> so. fake nominations. 
All right. So, yeah, the community next time. I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Vince. You can listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey, where we talk about Pixar. It's a journey. I'm Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. I'm about to put up a lot of YouTube videos, including a ranking of high school musical songs, which have already gotten some heated where's, disagreement for. where's high school musical in it by that's the a way. good one too that is a good one uh, high school musical it, it, all i remember is it got really it got higher up than it would have because of the awkward jump into air freeze frame then stare at camera <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway uh you can find me there you can also listen to my litany of other podcasts hot trash unlimited star wars therapy and all new 52 which i do with our editor joe thanks joe Thank Thanks, you, Joe. Um, and you can find me on Letterboxd. Um, I did write. I did finally get a review up on time, which is to say a month after I watched me? the movie. I did. I reviewed Marry Me. Someone on Twitter, a BTS fan, found my review. <laughs> it was a whole thing. Um, you can also find me, speaking of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter uh, at SGK29. That's name is Instagram. Um, you can find us, uh, the Snub Club, on Facebook, uh, the Snub Club, Twitter, Snub Club Pod, and Instagram, Snub Club Podcast. All right. Well, we will see you next time with the Kane Unity. Bye. Bye.